Welcome to the sixth episode of the third season of Hyper Talks. And thank you to Beppo Studios for letting us record here. I'm your host, Jonathan Kivin. With me is my co-host, Tobin Sidismith. Hello. And our guest today is Caroline Rundqvist. Hi. She is the director of cybersecurity at PwC Sweden. And before that, she was a business development manager and senior consultant at 4C Strategies. Yes. So that's quite the background. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your everyday life, what you do for PwC, and some of maybe the bigger projects you've been working on the past six months? What I do is that I help a lot of companies. I am specialized and work mostly within banks and insurance companies. So I help them work to strengthen their resilience. I would say that like 90% of what we do is that we work proactive, trying to set up processes and IT environments and crisis management processes that If they were to have a breach or an incident, they are ready to handle that and also minimize the risk of having a breach. I also spend quite some time when companies have had like a massive breach or an incident, we can go in and support them with crisis management. And I also, I lead the team of 35 people at PwC and specialized in IT security. They work with ethical hacking. So they try to hack into companies' IT environments, seeing, okay, so here you have weaknesses. Here we can get into your environment because if we can get in, that means that other people can get in as well. And then we help them like strengthen and build their resilience based on that. Ethical hacking, definitely something we'll touch later on in the show today. Yeah. Um, first, I would propose a check-in. Jonathan has a question today to start us off. Yeah, and the question is, if you had a remote control with only one button that controlled something in your life, what would that button do? So I can I can start. I'd probably want to shut off having to go to the bathroom or anxiety. I think they're equal in in stress for me. Mine's a bit simpler. I just want a find locationer for my wallet. I have it for my phone. And now I need it for my wallet. I lost my wallet like a couple weeks ago. I found it, thankfully, but I need one of those, I've realized. I want more Hmm. bodily, and you want more for your wallet. Wow, that is a hard one. Can I have like a play button where I can play like my favorite song? Yeah, is yeah. that too wide? You're I, like, I, I think isn't you, that Spotify? I think you, <laughs> <laughs> can I have the app Spotify? Because I want that then. Yes, you can have that. <laughs> thank you. You can very have a much. button that does that. All right, let's jump in right into some fundamentals of cybersecurity, just to give a bit of a background to some of our listeners. Yep. As I understand it, cybersecurity is made up of three components: threat, vulnerability, and risk. I was wondering if you could speak to each of these points and maybe differentiate between them for us. I'm going to start with threat. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to work with threat and understand what kind of threats you and your organization, you as a person, are exposed to. Because I think that due to the development within digitalization... In total, there is no longer a possibility to have like resilience all over the place. You have to look at, okay, so what kind of threats are we exposed to? And we have to work with our resilience in those kind of areas because otherwise it will be inefficient. It will be like so costly and it's not going to be productive, I think. So threat, I would say, is something that is very real that you are exposed to. Uh, risk is more theoretical because you can have a lot of risks that you you are exposed to and the risk of something happening may or may not happen. So that is more th- theoretical uh, one, I would say. And then vulnerability, that is your weaknesses. And those aren't really always so easy to... It's not always easy knowing where you have your weaknesses. So I think that having like a third party looking into that or trying to hack into the system is a very good way to find out. 
because it's always better to get someone who will tell you, so here are your weaknesses and help you strengthen them uh, than to have someone who is not kind enough to tell you and will instead take advantage of that. What would you say is the most important aspect for cybersecurity to focus on, vulnerability or risk? I think risk you can measure. Vulnerability is harder to measure. So I think that when it comes to like governance and budget and investments, I think that risk is very important. However, I think that in our, our daily work, I think that working with threat versus vulnerability is because that will give us like a delta Mm-hmm. You are exposed to these kind of threats and you have these vulnerabilities and those, if they don't match, you will have a delta and you need to handle that. Yeah. Right. I just I just want to get back to ethical hacking because yeah. that sounded cool. Yeah, it is very cool. Please tell us more. So we help organizations. I would say that everything from like municipalities to the large banks to insurance companies or every kind of company, I would say. And they come to us and they are like, okay, so we, we want to know where we have our weaknesses. Where do we have, where can we get a hold of your data or your information or your money and that kind of thing. So we hack, we try to help them get into their system because if we can get into that system, other people can. And then they can steal everything. I would say that we have seen a shift in the behavior of the actual hackers and that also makes us have to work in a different way because I would say that uh, earlier uh, the hackers like came into the system with like making a lot of noise and they took what they wanted to take and they got out of the system and it was so easy to to know when you've had a breach or you had someone in the environment that shouldn't be there but today we can see that hackers hack themselves into the system and then they wait there and watch like the behavior of the company for months because then when they have like mapped that out they can act the same way and by that get a hold of a lot like l- so large amounts of data or information or personal data or money or whatever it is so this idea of ethical hacking is it only when it comes to pre-op action when you're trying to prevent something or say you take maybe <coughs> like anonymous for example the most uh, famous hacking group in the world yep. you know the past couple of years they've hacked isis social media accounts they've exposed kkk head members of yes. where they live mm-hmm. is that considered ethical hacking or is that a different kind of branch of just nomad hacking trying to do the right thing no that's not ethical hacking i wouldn't say that that is like so subjective what is ethical or not mm-hmm. and it comes to like down to one person's view in those cases and ethical hacking is you have to be like so much more responsible right when you work with ethical hacking yeah it's too subjective mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah just when we're talking about hacking and how yeah. it's been different is there like a special country that this is coming from or regions in the world or are we getting a lot from the nordics or what's, what's going on I would say that, of course, when it comes to hacking, there are like no country, the country borders aren't like they're not relevant because hackers don't work that way. We can see at PwC that we work a lot together with both UK and Israel as well, because we can see that they are for obvious reasons. They are very mature when it comes to like hacking and cybersecurity in general. We can see hackers acting from a lot of countries. We can see them from China, uh, US, UK. Uh, Middle East to some extent. So we have it more or less everywhere, I would say. 
And I also think that in Sweden now we have the election coming up this fall. We can see that we have a lot of issues with unauthorized influence from a lot of uh, threat Because that's obviously been a big uh, theme around the world uh, in the past couple of years with the U.S. and the French election. So definitely need to take the preventative measures to try and stop it as much as you can. Yeah. So kind of going back to uh, your job, what shift in the cybersecurity industry is currently unraveling or what is happening that maybe wasn't happening a year or two years ago? I think that there has been a shift like very recently, like the last year that cybersecurity used to be an issue for like the CIO or the chief uh, information security officer at the company. Today, we can see that this in the boardroom, people, the board of directors are talking about this. We can see that the management teams, that is, this is a subject that everybody sort of is discussing. I think that there's still a lot of uncertainty because a lot of organizations don't know, okay, so what kind of threats are we exposed to? How should we handle them? How do we make sure that we make our investments in the right places? But I think that's one, going from like Somewhere down in the organization, it's all the way up. Uh, and a lot of people understand that there's no possibility today that you can leave the responsibility for your uh, cybersecurity to, to your like IT management, management team or your CIO. Mm-hmm. You have to take responsibility in, in like the management team for this kind of questions. So awareness is something. People understand that they need to work with this. I would say that the other thing is that we can see some initiatives regarding collaboration between like, okay, so uh, the enterprise uh, sector and the financial sector and also politicians, because I think that to be able to work with these questions productively, we have to work together because it's moving so fast and it's so difficult to like keep up with the development and understanding the threats. So I think that those two. And a third one, sorry, um, is also the... I noticed that people request education more than they used to. Uh, Which is a good thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and we can see that both on, in like university, but also I would say in like high, in the Swedish version of high school, I can also see that there is another people want to know and understand this. Well, that's an important shift we need to see in our society for sure. It really yeah. is. We did talk a little bit about like UK and Israel before and and we can see that they are mature and they are also like really good when it comes to education within cybersecurity at like quite early ages. Right. Everything from like how so you this is the way you surf secure uh, on the Internet when it comes to like tweenies, but uh, also like really advanced education on on, like universities and so on, of course. Mm -hmm. Mm. So we've seen this shift, I'd say, more internally. Can you can you see something in the future? What's coming up? I think it's this shift has already started, but I think it's going to keep developing. And it's like uh, the the mindset has moved very much from like okay, so if we have a breach, to when we have a breach, then we should do A, B, C, D, uh, and so on. We have a plan for when something happens instead. I would say that breaches happen all the time, so that is one thing. And of course, I think that the technical advancement will be when at the, from the hackers point of view they will be like they are so skilled but then that will continue to develop i think and i also think it's very interesting we saw this i don't know if you if you follow that but uh, like a month ago we had this big legal case in malmö tingsrätt where this there was like this guy together with a network who hacked into a lot of banks a lot of uh, insurance companies a lot of uh, everything from like kiek was ullared you know this being Swedish too, like the big banks. And he got a hold of like so large amount of money 
But what we also did see was that one, he was very successful, but he also got like a very hard sentence in comparison to what we had historically. I want to shift the focus to something I find fascinating, the cloud. I mean, five years ago, cloud storage was hardly a thing. Ten years ago, you were mostly using jump disks. And 20 years ago, you were still using floppy disks. So this idea of being able to store more and more freely is something that's increasingly happening in the industry. How is that going to affect the cybersecurity market going forward? Is it definitely going to kind of coincide and increase at the same point as we see more cloud computing, we're going to see more cybersecurity? Or how is it going to work out? What we can see today is that a lot of companies, I would say, and organizations are quite scared of the cloud because they don't feel that they have the knowledge or uh, transparency to understand it enough. So I think a lot of people are very careful about using the cloud. But me, for one, I I can't see any other option. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it will, of course, the cybersecurity practice has to like follow the development and understand, okay, so what is the threat combined with that? And, and make ways to create resilience. But I can't see any other options than like that development continuing to happen. So we're going to need to uh, develop some more sophisticated security in order to yes. protect my children's photos in yes. 15 years. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, I, I, and I also think because uh, I know that you've made an, a special episode about this, but when it comes to like personal data and your kids' photos mm-hmm. and that kind of things, that is also like... There's a lot happening when it comes to regulations and legislation there with the, the, the GDPR that comes into force on Friday. Yeah. So stuff is happening. So this question is a little more direct, but yeah. I, I really want this answer because when I arrived to Sweden, I saw that like all my classmates' computers has a little like sticky note or something covering the webcam. Yep. I don't have mine covered because I feel as if I have nothing to hide, but is that something I should be doing? I feel like you're kind of the best person to ask. Do I need to cover my webcam if I've got nothing to hide or what is really the benefit of a normal civilian? Should I be afraid of hackers coming in and taking pictures of me while I'm you know sitting on my laptop? I mean... Or- because I saw a photo of Mark Zuckerberg not that long ago. Yeah, maybe a year ago or so. And he had his laptop covered. I have it, of course. Oh, you do? Yeah. I do too. So I should have it. Well, I'm not. I'm just. <laughs> I think I have these little, you know, advertisement things with, with the PwC logo in my, in my case. You can <laughs> have you can one. Maybe you can give me one. <laughs> No, but it depends. I mean, I think when it comes to cybersecurity, it is so important to work with your risk appetite. And that, that of course, sounds like cheesy when it comes to the private person. But are you, is it something you are scared of? Is it something that, but I mean, the risk is real. Yes. All right. I'm going to get one of those off you at the end. (laughs) And I also have uh, quite recently gotten myself into buying a VPN. So my traffic is hidden, I'm guessing. Yep. And why I did this is because I'm easily influenced by people around me and said, just do it. I'm like, okay, yep. I, I will. Is it important to have? Uh, I think it's a good idea. And I also think that like when you're surfing, working, before I came here, I was working at a coffee shop. And I mean, I would never use their Wi-Fi. So yeah, I think that's a good idea. Okay, sticking with this theme of questions that the everyday civilian would might want answered by a cybersecurity ac- expert. How long and complex should my passwords be to personal accounts, maybe my bank account? Do I need to have like 10 characters, 10 numbers with symbols? Or can I just have, you know, like I currently have a letter or a word with a couple of numbers after? You should use the, I think you should use the password tools that is out there. They're very easy to use. They don't cost anything, sort of. And yes, I think you should use that. I don't think you should be using like... Summer 2018. That is you like just guessed my password right there. Yeah, <laughs> and probably like 80% of the ones listening as well. Yeah. 
Okay, so and I shouldn't have the same password for all my accounts either. No, absolutely not. My cybersecurity is not very up to date. (laughs) No, me neither. So how real are cyber threats for companies that are not typically targeted by cyber criminals? Like how do a little mom and pop shop that maybe runs an online e-commerce site, how concerned should they be with the cybersecurity threat? It totally depends on what kind of organization or what they, what kind of business they are running. I think it is important to think about, though. So is there some kind of risk? Where do we have our sensitive processes or IT, envir- or IT systems? And uh, are we sure that they are protected in a good way? I think that asking yourself that kind of que- that question is good. So obviously when it comes to security the notion of preventative action is across the board what you should always be doing whether it's you know security of your household or cybersecurity. i know you mentioned ethical uh, hacking as a way of preventative action yep. is there another way that we can predict these attacks to come before they arrive or is it really just trying to be as prepared as possible and then try and sort the breaches as fast as and well as possible once they do arrive i would say it's three things you can do you can work with ethical hacking you can work with doing some kind of maturity uh, uh, assessment where, mm-hmm. where you can see it. Okay, so these are our are processes or IT systems that are sensitive. Do we protect them in a good way? There are a lot of like frameworks to do that. And the third one is threat intelligence. And that means like everything from working proactive. And okay, so this are the kinds of threat that we are exposed to. But also like when you've had a breach, there are possibilities to like monitor the dark net, mm-hmm. dark web, to see, okay, so these kind of information is for sale or is out there. Right. So if I am a recent graduate from computer science, or maybe I have a background in coding, say JavaScript or Python, what is the best way for me to break into the industry as an analyst or some sort of hacking professional? I think that the market for when you have that kind of competence right now is it's the um, professionals market. So everybody wants to uh, employ cybersecurity and people who knows this say I don't necessarily have the competence yet and I want yeah. to gain, gain those tools that maybe I don't I can't afford in a degree or maybe I need to find a way online to study where would you say is the best point to start as a complete newbie I would say that when it comes to like ethical hacking there's a lot of online training you can mm-hmm. take that is quite good you can get certified when it comes to like CISPs and that is a good way. I would say we often recruit people who are like very techy or very mm-hmm. interesting to digitalization or that kind of stuff because we understand that to be able to understand cybersecurity and and in a couple of years we have to have the people who understand the like where is the development going, how is things evolving mm-hmm. uh, in the digital digital world. So we're talking about other people. Uh, getting into this how did you what what drove you into this like what was your inspiration through this so you got Um, into this point the thing is that i don't have the tech background at all i'm a social worker and this is like a lot of years ago but i started working with crisis management on like in teams what happened when you've had some kind of incident or or in the middle of a crisis what happens to people in that situation so i started going there and then from like crisis management, I continued working with the risk continuity and crisis management, like a broader perspective, and then I came into IT security. Uh, but I, I mean, I am not a hacker. I understand the environment. I understand tech. I understand what happens to people when they are in a crisis or that kind of stuff. So not the traditional, I think, IT security background. Mm. 
So I just want to shift gear to more of a broader scope. I mean, the 21st mm. century has been riddled with data leaks. I mean, you had uh, Yahoo in 2013, or 2013, which was like yep. 3 billion users, then eBay in 2014, yep. and then most recently, what was it, Uber and uh, yep. Equifax releasing a whole bunch of, or not releasing, getting hacked for a whole bunch of user information. I think yep. even Equifax lost like 200,000 credit card details, which yes. is insane. So. Clearly, these sort of scenarios are not diminishing. Almost, nope. One could almost say they're increasing. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think should be the necessary repercussions that these companies should fall into to kind of ensure that this doesn't happen again or try and discourage them from being susceptible for it happening again? I'm thinking two things. First of all, I know that in, in Sweden, Handelshögskolan recently did a study where they looked at what kind of incidents that affects your brand value in a bad way. They did look at a lot of phenomenas um, and graded them. They asked 10,000 Swedes. So, okay, if you were to grade these kind of events that a company would be exposed to, how bad would you say that that would be for the brand? Mm -hmm. And then they graded that from like 1 to 100. And totally worst was to be associated with child labor, of course. And that were uh, 69 points. But very interesting was that a lack in data protection was number two. Really? Yeah, and had 67 points. And I think that that is so important to understand that today, and we can see this, especially with the younger generation, that having a strong data protection is so important mm-hmm. for your brand value because you don't want to be associated with, you don't want to use the kind of systems that don't, or apps or whatever that don't have your cybersecurity in place. We can also see a lot of new regulations and legislation coming into force. I mean, as we said, GDPR is one example of that. NIS Directivet did come into force a couple of weeks ago. We can see that we are trying to to like legislate because I, th- I don't think that the people creating the regulations or the legislations, this is not... Their area of expertise by no, no. means. Yeah, exactly. No, but at the same time, for the, as we said before, with digitalization, companies that had nothing to do with tech suddenly yep. have to do with tech because yes. they want to survive and thrive as a business. So we see incompetence coming from both yes. ways, kind of. And then you are in between there, fixing everything. Yeah, trying our best. Yeah. But I mean, even for us working with cybersecurity and do that like full time and have the, the geeky interest in this area, I mean, it is hard to keep up because the threat actors, they are evolving and developing their methods so fast. So it is hard. And would you say that the best minds in the world for hacking do not work for a company or a government? I don't think you can put it like a yes or no question. Yeah. To be honest, we have some like really brilliant people working for PwC who is experts in this area as well. So going forward, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Is it still working for this uh, as a director for this team for PwC or do you have aspirations to maybe start your own cybersecurity firm? I'm very happy at PwC right now. I think that working for a big company, one of the positive effects of that is that you can look at the whole company you can work with. Okay, so they are working with data and analytics. They are working with robotics. And then we can work with cybersecurity as well. So Mm -hmm. we can give them the broad offer and we can work with like the broad processes. And I think that gives us the chance to like really make a difference. Yes, I want to get back to the election that's coming up in September. Yes. It is. Mm-hmm. Swedish elections open. You can't vote, <laughs> but I will do it for you. Thank you. <laughs> Emotionally. No, so are you involved in anything with the, the security? 
Yeah, we are working with some of the uh, parties and we have also, because we I think that this is so important to like offer awareness. So we, we have also taken some kind of educational role in this. So we have done like in-depth and uh, interviews with all the parties talking about how they want to work with cybersecurity and what kind of investments they want to do and so forth. And then we talk about cybersecurity like in a broad perspective, everything from like IT security to the Swedish Armed Forces because it's all part of the cybersecurity. I have a question. It is going to reveal my ignorance on this topic overall, but I'm really curious. I'm going to ask it anyway. So we know from the past couple of world elections that Russia has been involved in some form or another of trying to influence elections. Knowing that, will that aid in Sweden's cybersecurity approach to their election, knowing that there might be potential threat coming from that region? Or does that not matter at all? Of course it do matter, but that is not our role. I would say then we have like most military underrättelsetjänsten and we have SAP working with these issues. And those are government-run agencies? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I would say sort of like this Swedish version of FBI. Yeah. Wow. Swedish yeah. FBI. Is there a component of the industry that maybe you think it's not as well known as the questions we've asked that it should be more well known to the general public? Is there something in cybersecurity that you would like to speak to that maybe you can inform us a little bit about? I think that we've covered a lot of it. I think that crisis management, I think that everybody should have their crisis management in place. It doesn't matter if you're a school in a municipality or if you are a bank in Sweden. I think that knowing what to do when the shit hits the fan, it's very important Mm -hmm. um, because it will do that. At some point. Yeah. And also change my password. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. And get one of those PWC stickers from my yeah. camera. I'm going to be so much more secure after yes. this podcast. No, but I mean, like, ignorance should be punished. If you're a big company handling data on people, personal data, it should be punishable. If yeah, you're ignorant and yes. don't have the measures intact in place. But yeah. is Facebook being punished? Because that seems pretty ignorant what they were doing. And, I mean, Cambridge Analytica is now shut down. It's no longer an operating firm. Mm. So they got punished, but... You know, the subsequent handlers of the data, Facebook, who actually sold the, to yeah. them, are they being punished? I'm not actually aware of this. It is the ignorance part that the supervision authorities will look at because being like 100% compliant will be like very hard. So I think that it is a try to get into punishing the ignorant companies. Yeah. Maybe you can tell us a bit about a project you'd been working on, you know, as much as you can. I'm sure it's mostly confidential, but in the past six months, that was really uh, kind of amazing for you. And you were were quite wow factored by the fact that you're working on. So I do have one example that has nothing to do with IT security, but cybersecurity in the broader perspective. When we had in Stockholm in April 2017, we had terror event at the Drottninggatan mm-hmm. that a lot of, all the Swedes are well aware of. And we had been working proactively with Landstinget in Stockholm that runs all the hospitals. Mm-hmm. And we had been exercising and working proactive regarding what they were to do if they, there were some kind of terror incident in Stockholm. As a result of that, that we had worked proactive with them, we also got the assignment to evaluate afterwards. So, okay, so what lessons learned do we have here? How can we make sure that the next time we are even stronger? What we, did we do good? Where can we, where can we be better the next time? And I think that was really because it was so hands-on. It was so emotional for a lot of mm. Swedes working with this of course, and I think that was a very important assignment for us. 
Actually, I have a question kind of about post-cyber breach. You know, we've been working with a lot with the iterative thinking process, you know, and always learning from each new scenario. How easy is it to learn from a, a breach when a, a major one happens? Is it kind of, oh, this this is kind of something we're learning from this huge breach, or is it scrambling to fix things and then look over <clears throat> after, okay, this is what we learned? I think that being in the middle of a breach, it is nothing like you expect it to be. For once, it's so hard sometimes to understand that you have had an incident, right. mm-hmm. that you have had a breach, because the signs aren't always obvious. Sometimes it can be like, okay, so we have something here and it's not working. Why is it not working? What do we know about the situations? What kind of facts do we have? Can we make any kind of assumptions? So what I think is that when you are in the middle of a breach, I think it's very hard mm-hmm. to like learn. I think that the most important thing you can do to be good at cybersecurity is to learn from mistakes mm-hmm. and to learn from events or incidents or crisis, not only the own organizations, but also looking at Equifax, looking at Uber. So you can learn and understand how did the threatened uh, actors work? How can we be better? Is there like a collaborative environment between larger companies talking about this between themselves? Like this happened to us or you see what I'm saying? This is yep. changing. Like, is, is there, there a conversation? Good yeah. I think it's starting to change. I th- I still think that, as we spoke before, that like having a major breach is like so bad for your brand value. Yeah. So uh, if it isn't noticed or out there in like media, you don't really want to talk about no. it. Uh, yeah. And I think that that is changing though, because everybody understands that to be able to be better and learn more, we have to share and we have to collaborate. So I think it's very early but it's starting to happen. So we're actually running out of time. Tobin, do you have anything more? No, uh, thank you so much. This has been really enlightening. All right, so I'm going to propose a check out. Are we just going to check out what the, what the color you're feeling like? Tobin, do you have a color? I feel like lilac. I don't know what that color is, and it felt like you were trying to impress me. <laughs> and it worked. It's a light purple. Light purple. I feel I feel like a, a lifeful green. Mm. Oh. Pink. Pink. Yeah. Strong. Yes. So thank you, Caroline, for being here. Thank you. It was great having you. And thank you, Beppo Studios. You guys are superstars. And remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Catch us next episode. Bye. 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 Bye.